Section 34 of Gray's Anatomy, Part 5. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dr. Valerie Ross. Anatomy of the Human Body, Part 5, by Henry Gray. The Testes and Their Coverings. Appendages of the Testis and Epididymis. On the upper extremity of the testis, just beneath the head of the epididymis, is a minute oval sessel body, the appendix of the testis, hydatid of morgagni. It is the remnant of the upper end of the mullarian duct. On the head of the epididymis is a second small stalked appendage, sometimes duplicated. It is named the appendix of the epididymis, pedunculated hydatid, and is usually regarded as a detached efferent duct. The testis is invested by three tunics, the tunica vaginalis, tunica albuginea, and tunica vasculosa. The tunica vaginalis, tunica vaginalis propria testis, is the serous covering of the testis. It is a pouch of serous membrane derived from the saccus vaginalis of the peritoneum, which in the fetus preceded the descent of the testis from the abdomen into the scrotum. After its descent, that portion of the pouch which extends from the abdominal inguinal ring to near the upper part of the gland becomes obliterated. The lower portion remains as a shut sac which invests the surface of the testis and is reflected on to the internal surface of the scrotum. Hence it may be described as consisting of a visceral and a parietal lamina. The visceral lamina, or lamina visceralis, covers the greater part of the testis and epididymis, connecting the latter to the testis by means of a distinct fold. From the posterior border of the gland, it is reflected on to the internal surface of the scrotum. The parietal lamina, or lamina parietalis, is far more extensive than the visceral, extending upward for some distance in front and on the medial side of the cord and reaching below the testis. The inner surface of the tunica vaginalis is smooth and covered by a layer of endothelial cells. The interval between the visceral and parietal laminae con constitutes the cavity of the tunica vaginalis. The obliterated portion of the saccus vaginalis may generally be seen as a fibrocellular thread lying in the loose areolar tissue around the spermatic cord. Sometimes this may be traced as a distinct band from the upper end of the inguinal canal where it is connected with the peritoneum down to the tunica vaginalis. Sometimes it gradually becomes lost on the spermatic cord. Occasionally no trace of it can be detected. In some cases it happens that the pouch of peritoneum does not become obliterated, but the sac of the peritoneum communicates with the tunica vaginalis. This may give rise to one of the varieties of oblique inguinal hernia. In other cases, the pouch may contract, but not become entirely obliterated. It then forms a minute canal leading from the peritoneum to the tunica vaginalis. The tunica albuginea is the fibrous covering of the testis. It is a dense membrane of a bluish-white color composed of bundles of white fibrous tissue which interlace in every direction. It is covered by the tunica vaginalis except at the points of attachment of the epididymis to the testis and along its posterior border where the spermatic vessels enter the gland. 
It is applied to the tunica vasculosa over the glandular substance of the testis and, at its posterior border, is reflected into the interior of the gland, forming an incomplete vertical septum called the mediastinum testis, or corpus hymori. The mediastinum testis extends from the upper to near the lower extremity of the gland and is wider above than below. From its front and sides, numerous imperfect septa, or trabeculi, are given off, which radiate toward the surface of the organ and are attached to the tunica albuginea. They divide the interior of the organ into a number of incomplete spaces, which are somewhat cone-shaped, being broad at their base at the surface of the gland and becoming narrower as they converge to the mediastinum. The mediastinum supports the vessels and duct of the testis in their passage to and from the substance of the gland. The tunica vasculosa is the vascular layer of the testis, consisting of a plexus of blood vessels held together by delicate areolar tissue. It clothes the inner surface of the tunica albuginea and the different septa in the interior of the gland, and therefore forms an internal investment to all the spaces of which the gland is composed. Structure. The glandular structure of the testis consists of numerous lobules. Their number in a single testis is estimated by Barris at 250 and by Krauss at 400. They differ in size according to their position, those in the middle of the gland being larger and longer. The lobules are conical in shape, the base being directed toward the circumference of the organ, the apex toward the mediastinum. Each lobule is contained in one of the intervals between the fibrous septa, which extend between the mediastinum testis and the tunica albuginea, and consists of from one to three or more minute convoluted tubes, the tubuli seminiferi. The tubules may be separately unraveled by careful dissection under water, and may be seen to commence either by free cecal ends or by anastomotic loops. They are supported by loose connective tissue, which contains here and there groups of interstitial cells containing yellow pigment granules. The total number of tubules is estimated by Louth at 840, and the average length of each is 70 to 80 centimeters. Their diameter varies from 0.12 to 0.3 millimeters. The tubules are pale in color in early life, but in old age they acquire a deep yellow tinge from containing much fatty matter. Each tubule consists of a basement layer formed of laminated connective tissue containing numerous elastic fibers with flattened cells between the layers and covered externally by a layer of flattened epithelioid cells. Within the basement membrane are epithelial cells arranged in several irregular layers, which are not always clearly separated, but which may be arranged in three different groups. Among these cells may be seen the spermatozoa in different stages of development. Lining the basement membrane and forming the outer zone is a layer of cubical cells with small nuclei. Some of these enlarge to become spermatogonia. The nuclei of some of the spermatogonia may be seen to be in process of indirect division, or karyokinesis, and in consequence of this, daughter cells are formed, which constitute the second zone. Within this first layer is to be seen a number of larger polyhedral cells with clear nuclei arranged in two or three layers. These are the intermediate cells, or spermatocytes. Most of these cells are in a condition of karyokinetic division, and the cells which result from this division form those of the next layer, the spermatoblasts, or spermatids. 
The third layer of cells consists of the spermatoblasts or spermatids, and each of these, without further subdivision, becomes a spermatozoan. The spermatids are small polyhedral cells, the nucleus of each of which contains half the usual number of chromosomes. In addition to these three layers of cells, others are seen, which are termed the supporting cells, or cells of Sertoli. They are elongated and columnar, and project inward from the basement membrane toward the lumen of the tube. As development of the spermatozoa proceeds, the latter group themselves around the inner extremities of the supporting cells. The nuclear portion of the spermatid, which is partly embedded in the supporting cell, is differentiated to form the head of the spermatozoan, while part of the cell protoplasm forms the middle piece, and the tail is produced by an outgrowth from the double centriole of the cell. Ultimately, the heads are liberated and the spermatozoa are set free. The structure of the spermatozoa is described on pages 42 and 43. In the apices of the lobules, the tubules become less convoluted, assume a nearly straight course, and unite together to form from 20 to 30 larger ducts of about 0.5 millimeters in diameter, and these, from their straight course, are called tubuli recti. The tubuli recti enter the fibrous tissue of the mediastinum and pass upward and backward, forming, in their ascent, a close network of anastomosing tubes which are merely channels in the fibrous stroma, lined by flattened epithelium and having no proper walls. This constitutes the rete testis. At the upper end of the mediastinum, the vessels of the rete testis terminate in from 12 to 15 or 20 ducts, the ductuli efferentes. They perforate the tunica albuginea and carry the seminal fluid from the testis to the epididymis. Their course is at first straight, they then become enlarged and exceedingly convoluted and form a series of conical masses, the coni vasculosi, which together constitute the head of the epididymis. Each cone consists of a single convoluted duct from 15 to 20 centimeters in length, the diameter of which gradually decreases from the testis to the epididymis. Opposite the bases of the cones, the efferent vessels open at narrow intervals into a single duct, which constitutes, by its complex convolutions, the body and tail of the epididymis. When the convolutions of this tube are unraveled, it measures upward of six meters in length. It decreases in diameter and thickness as it approaches the ductus deferens. The convolutions are held together by fine areolar tissue and by bands of fibrous tissue. The tubuli recti have very thin walls. Like the channels of the rete testis, they are lined by a single layer of flattened epithelium. The ductuli efferentes and the tube of the epididymis have walls of considerable thickness on account of the presence in them of muscular tissue, which is principally arranged in a circular manner. These tubes are lined by columnar ciliated epithelium. Peculiarities the testis, developed in the lumbar region, may be arrested or delayed in its transit to the scrotum, cryptorchism. It may be retained in the abdomen, or it may be arrested at the abdominal inguinal ring, or in the inguinal canal, or it may just pass out of the subcutaneous inguinal ring without finding its way to the bottom of the scrotum. When retained in the abdomen, it gives rise to no symptoms other than the absence of the testis from the scrotum. But when it is retained in the inguinal canal, it is subjected to pressure and may become inflamed and painful. The retained testis is probably functionally useless, 
so that a man in whom both testes are retained, anorchism, is sterile, though he may not be impotent. The absence of one testis is termed monorchism. When a testis is retained in the inguinal canal, it is often complicated with a congenital hernia, the funicular process of the peritoneum not being obliterated. In addition to the cases above described, where there is some arrest in the descent of the testis, this organ may descend through the inguinal canal, but may miss the scrotum and assume some abnormal position. The most common form is where the testis, emerging at the subcutaneous inguinal ring, slips down between the scrotum and the thigh and comes to rest in the perineum. This is known as perineal ectopia testis. With each variety of abnormality in the position of the testis, it is very common to find concurrently a congenital hernia, or, if a hernia be not actually present, the funicular process is usually patent, and almost invariably so if the testis is in the inguinal canal. The testis, finally reaching the scrotum, may occupy an abnormal position in it. It may be inverted so that its posterior or attached border is directed forward and the tunica vaginalis is situated behind. Fluid collections of a serous character are very frequently found in the scrotum. To these the term hydrocele is applied. The most common form is the ordinary vaginal hydrocele, in which the fluid is contained in the sac of the tunica vaginalis, which is separated in its normal condition from the peritoneal cavity by the whole extent of the inguinal canal. In another form, the congenital hydrocele, the fluid is in the sac of the tunica vaginalis, but this cavity communicates with the general peritoneal cavity, its tubular process remaining pervious. A third variety, known as an infantile hydrocele, occurs in those cases where the tubular process becomes obliterated only at its upper part, at or near the abdominal inguinal ring. It resembles the vaginal hydrocele, except as regards its shape, the collection of fluid extending up to the cord into the inguinal canal. Fourthly, the funicular process may become obliterated both at the abdominal inguinal ring and above the epididymis, leaving a central, unobliterated portion which may become distended with fluid, giving rise to a condition known as the encysted hydrocele of the cord. End of section 34. Recording by Dr. Valerie Ross.